0: I thought a lot about today's text as we're reading through the Bible chronologically. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter five. We're going to read almost all of it together, uh, but this was a, this is our reading for today or a portion of our reading for today. And I thought, man, what stories do I have? that are going to equate to this. And I thought back, because I've been a student pastor for 23 years and been in ministry a total of 25 years, um, and I just thought back to there was this one particular trip that I went on with our teenagers to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and that was by far at that time the farthest trip I'd ever spent with a group of teenagers on a bus going one direction, and, and that's just the worst thing ever you can imagine. Like, I know some of you guys have been to war, and that, I, I don't know that, but I can imagine what I experienced on that bus to be very much like a war scene, um, if you can imagine. I mean, there, there were people who were so excited, and then all of a sudden, the, the trip started, and then it wasn't very much fun anymore. I had adults who were just ready to throw in the towel and surrender and give up. And I mean, and we're just like two hours into the trip. Um, that's when I learned the, the, the ability to say the words, five more minutes. Anybody ever use that as a parent? Have you ever said the word five minutes? As a pastor, uh, especially working with teenagers or children, it's very effective. Because you would, you know, tell them, hey, this is like a seven-hour bus ride. It's going to take a long time to get there. No, we're not stopping to get a hotel. That's ridiculous. Um, we're just going to get on the bus, and we're just going to hope for the best. And so about two hours into it, you begin to hear, the, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer? How much longer? Hey, pastor, how much longer? And I'm just like, five more minutes. And they're like, oh, cool, man, we're almost there. Five more minutes. And then like two hours would pass. Hey, how much longer? Five more minutes. I thought he said that like two hours ago. So I would just repeat this over and over. You know why I said this over and over again? So they would stop asking. They would just quit asking me how much longer. And then it was amazing when we got on the bus to come back how many times I was asked the same question. I was like, we just took seven hours to get here four days ago. How do you not remember? But that's the teenage brain. Sometimes we have to like, as we grow and develop, we have to remember and go back and think, where have we been? What did we experience? And what was it like? And In the text today, we see the children coming back from a pilgrimage. Like I mean, two of pilgrimages there were three three traditions that happened in the, in the in the Israel faith back then, and it was these festivals, and one was Passover, of course, they got to the one of Pentecost, and then they also did this thing called the, the feast the festival of shelters or booths, as it would be called as well, where they would travel back, they'd make a pilgrimage back, and they would remember where they had been, what they experienced, and the the, the festival of, of shelter was to remember that when the children were in the exodus, where they were and what they were doing. So they, they would build these makeshift tents, and they would live in them for about a week. And then they'd pack everything up, and they would leave. Then they would, next year, the next festival, they would come back. But the whole time there, they were remembering where they were, and then they would begin to worship. And in our text today, something really, really amazing happens. So let's read together. It's 2 Chronicles 5, starting in verse 2. And the Bible reads this way. And then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the Israelites came together to the king at the time of the festival in the seventh month. This is the one I was describing. This is the festival of booths, festival of shelter. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark and they brought up the ark to the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The Levitical priests carried them up and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle they could not be recorded or counted. The priest then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and covered the ark in its carrying poles. Those poles were so long that their ends, extending from the ark, could be seen from in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from the outside of the holy place. And they are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses had placed in them at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. The priests then withdrew from the holy place, and all the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions, all the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Haman, Judathon, and their sons and relatives stood on the east accompanied by 120 priests surrounding the trumpets. The trumpeteers and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by the trumpet symbols and all other instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. And then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. What we have here is like one of the most amazing worship services ever recorded in Scripture. We see that these people came together for a festival. Solomon brings up the Ark of the Covenant. They perform all the things they were told to do, all the Levitical laws they were told to do to this Ark, starting from David, now to his son, the things that could be done, and performed for this temple service. And everything begins to happen. I mean, I've got it set up. And it's, it reminded me, reading this text, of even what we're doing right now, that we come together. This morning, we all got up and we pilgrimaged, albeit maybe five minutes or 35 minutes, or if you're the Tysons, an hour and 45 minutes to get to church. And so we come here and we've dressed and we look great and we've got everything together, right? We've got the, the bands ready, the music, all this stuff's ready to happen. And I'll guarantee none of us this morning said, I wonder if God's going to show up. I wonder, after all this preparation we've done, would God just show up? Is He really that concerned with what we're doing? I mean, I've done all this. Put all this together. I I sang the songs. I've got my Bible open. Is God really going to show up? And I think the things that we have to do is we have to focus our attention on just a few questions or a few things that we need to be reminded of. The title of the message is Oneness. And I want us to see not only what was in Scripture, but what we did from the moment you, you got in your car. Or maybe you woke up and hit the shower. And you cranked the car and you drove or however you got here and you sat down and we sang and you responded and you worshiped. And I love the fact that Ricky did a teaching on the postures of worship. We need to understand all that is acceptable. Pleasing and it's holy to God. It's an offering that we can give. But was all of it done for the, for the sole thing of oneness? Or did we come with some other motive in mind? And we just, the last song, I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I've done something else. I want to go back to the place where it started. And we see that's what's happening with these children of Israel traveling back to remember. And something amazing is going to happen. So again, so we, oneness. Oneness is is achieved when we focus on what? The heavenly attitude. We have a heavenly attitude. We can achieve oneness with God. We see that these children, again, they prepared themselves. We can look through verses 2 all the way to verse 10. And we see all the things that are happening. How long the poles were, the way the temple was set up, Well, all the rituals they had to go through. The sacrifices that were made along the journey were so many they couldn't even be counted. We see all these things. So we've got to have this heavenly attitude of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Even before we get to the worship, even before we get to the temple, even before we even expect God to show up, we've got to have this preparation for us. So again, our focus has got to be a heavenly focus and it can't be focused on us. It, we can't be the center of attention when we come into to interaction with God and interaction with his presence. We've got to realize it's not about us. And I think that the sooner we do realize, hey, it is not about you. We can wear the t-shirts or put the bracelet on. It's not about you. But until we truly Truly step into the reality that it is not about us. Then we begin the, the heavenly um, attitude. Then we begin to see what the true call that God has placed on us and the true word begins to reveal to us. That we can wake up in the morning and maybe the first thing we can do is sit on the side of our bed and look down at our feet and go, it's not about me. I know it's Sunday. It's just not about me. It's about Jesus. I know that may be a song that was brand new and I didn't really like it, but it's not about me. I know that whoever's sharing today may not be who I wanted to hear, but it's not about me. It's about your word. It can be so many things we could put into that thing, but when our attitude is heavenly, when our mind is heavenly, it changes our perspective on everything. And that's what these children were doing. Again, think of the distance they had to travel. Like, I don't, I've shared with you guys, like, I, sometimes I struggle with, like, family reunions and get together, and, and, and now I'm far away enough that I don't have to really do that anymore. It's like, well, I'm far. I don't have to go for family reunions. But that was one time a year my family would get together on the worst day ever, December 22nd. Who gets together for family reunions on December 22nd? Because everybody shows up, and they're like, well, I had shopping to do, but I'm here. It's like, what? Well, So December 22nd, one of the worst days ever to do it. And now to the point it's like, I'm far away, I don't want to. But just imagine that you had to pilgrimage or travel for family reunions three times a year. That's going to change from perspective. It's going to change a lot of things. If you had to drive a long distance and imagine how far they had to travel back. And it was a decree that they come back three times a year to spend large periods of time there. So as we prepare for worship, what is our heavenly attitude? I would love for you to consider that question right now. Again, as the songs that we've sing and the worship that we've seen through baptism, what is our heavenly attitude as we prepare ourselves? They put a lot of time, a lot of preparation into their travel. They had to really want to be there. And I dare say that probably some of them are a lot like us and a lot like me at times. My attitude sometimes is... is perpetuated by what's going to happen when I get there. So I've shared with you guys, I love the sport of football. I could watch like the bobblehead like third graders run around and be just as excited and cheering because my family has observed this. I jump, scream, get excited when they score touchdowns. I run down the field. I'm an idiot, but I love it. Or if you place me in a football stadium on a Saturday in one of my favorite cities ever, Oxford, Mississippi, don't hate. I love it. I'm red and blue through and through. Hotty totty, y'all. And so anyway, you can place me there, and I, and I, and I, I cheer a few times, and I get really disappointed because we lose a lot. So sometimes what, what's, what I know the outcome is going to be or where I'm going to be it changes my perspective. It's perpetuated by what's going to happen. But our heavenly attitude can be, God, I'm going, and I know you're going to show up. I know you're going to be there, and I cannot wait to experience this with you. So oneness is achieved with our heavenly attitude. Secondly, it's achieved... By, when we embrace unity. And we've got to see that we have to be unified in our worship. First thing we got to be unified with is, is, is our Heavenly Father. We need to be unified with Him. If you are in this space today, in this room, if you're listening or watching and you say, I do not know Jesus as my Savior, I don't know what that means, I, I see baptism, I hear you know, the pastors talking about it, I hear my small group leader, my life group leader talking about it, I do not know what that means then you have disunity with the Father. There's no in-between. You're lost. And Jesus wants to find you. And so if that's you in this space today, you can achieve this, this aspect of oneness by surrendering your life to Jesus and saying, there's so much I don't understand, but Jesus, I know I'm, I'm lost and I will spend eternity in hell without you. And I, I personally don't want that and I'm thankful that you want to give me that freedom and that life. So I'm going to say yes to you. That, that is, you, can, you can pray that now in your words where you're sitting, and we'll celebrate up here, and we'll get you ready to go in the baptist, baptistry next week. But that's the first thing. You've got to have unity with a father, and that's the only way to have unity with a father is through his son. There's no other way to find unity with a father other than that. You can work as much as you want to. You can sing as much as you want to. You can put up crosses as much as you want to. You can be anti-everything on your social media. and all for the, You say for the glory of God, but if you have disunity with the Father without the salvation of Jesus, the only hope for you is Jesus' salvation. Don't miss that. We don't want you to miss that. So you can find that oneness. There's also a unity that we see. Let's look in verses 11 through 13. This, this man, I remember just reading this and blowing my mind. The Bible says the priest then withdrew from, their, from the holy place. So now the priests have done it. they walk away from it. They just walk out of it. And all the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. Do you understand that even for these priests there was just like this hierarchy of, of level of responsibility and, and, and respect? And the Bible says they consecrated all of that. They laid down every title they had. It did not matter whether high priest, middle priest, low priest, whatever. I mean, they just laid it down. All for the sake of worship. Don't miss this. Their attitude was heavenly and now they've forsaken all their little titles. So in this space today, I know we've got titles. Pastor title, deacon title, senior adult title, whatever it is. I'm the head of whatever. I'm, and I'm this at my work. I'm very important at my work. But when we come together, we have a heavenly attitude and we have and a, 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 a oneness that we want to achieve through embracing our unity, we have to lay down our titles. Because I'll be honest with you, in, in the scheme of heaven and the scheme of the Father, none of that matters. And you think of you think of Saul, New Testament Saul in scripture, when he is struck from heaven by Jesus and he goes blind, do you think his title And what he was doing was important. Well, Jesus, don't make me blind. You know who I am? You know what I'm incapable of doing? Which is why Jesus went to him, because he knew what he was capable of doing. He changed his entire perspective by stripping him of a title. The disciples and all their achievements, fishing, the tax collecting, the doctoring, the whatever it was, the doubting. uh, There was just one guy. All those things, all that was stripped away for the sake of them to follow him. To take on the call, to take up the cross and follow him daily. So we have to strip ourselves of all the rank and position because, in the attitude of embracing unity, it does not matter. We'll have continued disunity with one another if we're constantly looking for titles that we have or power that we assume we have over someone else. It is not godly, it is not heavenly, and it's not worship. The Bible reads on. So it talks to, um, The men that were there. We see the musicians, the instruments that were there, 120 priests surrounding them with trumpets, trumpeters and musicians. Isn't it beautiful that we see there was only seven words they used? Look at the latter part of verse 13, and we see the musicians joining in unison. They're all together to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by the trumpet, cymbals, and other instruments, they had a band. I mean, this, this was a rocking area. And the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang seven words. He is good. His love endures forever. He is good. His love endures forever. If Ricky were preaching this, he would have a melody behind these things, but I'm not that gifted. But this is what they were doing. They were singing. They were sharing. They were just shouting this to God over and over and over again as the instruments are going, as things are happening. They've got seven words they're using to express their gratitude, their thankfulness, their love to a heavenly Father. How many words do you have to use to impress God? If we have a heavenly attitude and we are seeking oneness through unity, it may be less than seven. But as the Bible shares, it's about seven. And do you see the things that happen? Are we just trying to be clever sometimes in our worship? Are we trying to outsmart God? God, I've memorized half the book of Romans. By memory, I can quote it. I'm so eloquent in my prayers. I just want, I want people to hear how close I am to you by all the words that come out of my mouth. And it's not about that. As we grow in our maturity, our, I mean, our language will change. Our posture, so many things will change, but we could start with seven words. If you've never worshiped before, you could start with seven words. He is good. His love endures forever. Why in the world would these children say this? Because remember what they came back to do. To remember where their ancestors were in the wilderness. To come back to the place where they said, Hey God, all we had was you. You were providing light for us at dark. You were providing food for us in the day. You were moving us around. You were providing for us. They remembered. They remember the stories. From the time they were children, they would travel back. And now they're getting older. And they're having their grandkids. And they're teaching it to them. You know, we look at today as we celebrate Mother's Day. Next month, we'll celebrate Father's Day. There's Grandparents Day. There's Brother Day, Sister Day. I mean, there's a day for everything now. Every day, we can celebrate what we pass down to the next generation. And I'm going to preach on, on this one thing for about two seconds, maybe longer. If we don't love the next generation and quit looking for everything we disagree with them on, they will never know what to celebrate when it comes to God. This generation that's sitting in this room right now that we have almost given up on needs a man in their 70s who will say, so this is how you put a fishing line on a lure. And this is how you respond as a man to a young man. This is what it means to be a man. We need women in their 70s to do the same thing with young women. This is the needle. This is thread. This is how you sew a hymn. Or or I don't say that wrong. Sew a hymn. Is that right? Fix a, fix a shirt. How about that? <laughs> I know how to do it. I don't know what it is. But I'm just saying like, we, we need these generations to do that. And you know what we also need them to do? We need to open up the Word and say, well, let me, and, and by the way, doing that, let me show you what the Word of God says. Let me tell you some things about my life because I remember the goodness of God, and I can't wait to share it with you. Because he is good and his love does endure forever. And lastly, oneness is achieved when we focus on God. Everything they did in this passage was to focus on God. There was nothing in between that. They followed the rituals. They did what they were supposed to do. And guess what? They did a little bit more. They went a little bit farther. They probably had the past and God showed up mightily. Let's look at the last part of this passage here. So he is good, his love endures forever. They're just singing this over and over. This is verse 13, the B side. Like then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. Not a cloud, the cloud. Don't miss that. The Bible's not mistaken with a, with a, with a le- couple of letters here. It's not just some random cloud that showed up. Oh, it's foggy. No, the cloud shows up. Think about Jesus on the on the on the mount of Transfiguration. What showed up? The cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. God showed up. They sought a heavenly attitude. They focused on their unity, not on their titles, and they literally gave it all to the glory of God. And guess what? God shows up. Church, I'll tell you, when you lay everything down and when you put your, total your expectations on God, He will show up. But you got to be praying for it. You've got to be looking for it. you got to be reading and knowing who he is. Because if you're, not, if you're confused, you'll say, a cloud showed up. No, it's not a cloud. It's not a random thing. It is the cloud. And it's God and it's his spirit. And it is beautiful when it shows up. And I love the fact that as believers now, with Jesus sitting at the right hand, waiting for that day when he returns, he still says, here is my word, divide it rightly and go and teach it and share it so that others can know about my glory as well. We get that when we are seeking unity, oneness. So when God shows up, he's going to mess up all our plans, isn't he? There's no telling how many times they had done this, performed this before. This festival that they returned for, there's no many times they did it, and it was just like, well, that was fun, let's pack up and go home. But oh, this time things were different. Because God showed up and it changed everything. Everything. I shared earlier that, you know, you only, you start in unity with the Father through salvation. And we shared a little bit of the good news of Jesus, that if, if that is you today, where you're sitting, you can lift your eyes to the heavens and say, Father, I need you. God, I acknowledge now that I'm nothing without you. As far as the Bible's concerned, I'm dead. These are just bones of flesh on them. Nothing in my life is good. Nothing in my life will ever be good. And apart from knowing you, I will spend eternity in hell. Talk about a great Mother's Day gift. Talk about a great gift any day to share with your family what Jesus has done and transformed your life because of his salvation. That's a great day, regardless of the day. But you can share that today. If you say, hey, I'm nervous and I really don't know how to pray. I will be down here to to receive you and to pray with you and encourage you. If there's more than one person coming, our team will come and respond to you. And I just believe that if there's so many people that walk forward and it's me and our team that are here, I believe there are people in this room that are disciple makers that will come and meet you, probably some of your best friends that will come and pray with you. But listen, it's not about coming and praying with me. It's about meeting God face-to-face, right? It's about seeking the unity with the Father and knowing that we can do that. It's about laying down our titles, and focusing on Him. It is about lifting our voices in unity together to the glory of God, and we see Him show up. Church, are you ready for God to show up? If you would stand with me, I'm going to pray for us. And again, this morning, the imitation is very, very simple. We're praying for a movement of God. Just right now, just go ahead and commit that to your heart. That's not about Brandon's words. That's about what God wants. We're praying about a movement of God. We're not worried what's happening over town in another church. We're we're worried about in the faith family that God's given us right here. And I would ask that you just pray for that unity, that oneness, that desire. And if you feel the need to come forward to pray, man, these steps, they're not holy. They're comfortable. And there's just something about, like when Ricky taught us about a posture of prayer, walking... And, and, and kneeling down and praying and if you, if you need to grab someone on the way please feel free to do that if you need someone to come to you walk up here and turn around and just wave there may be three people who run to you to hug you and love you and pray over you but don't be afraid of it because if we want a movement of God we got to do what's necessary to see it and while the teaching time may be coming to an end worship doesn't end our worship never ends because we sing and we respond and we read and we respond and we sing and we respond and we read and we respond. We do this over and over and over again. That is our worship. So, church, I want to pray for us that then you move as necessary. Maybe a movement of salvation, may be a movement of prayer. It could be a movement for forgiveness. But you do business with God. Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for all things today. And we pray, God, that you would move in this moment. God, break our heart for what breaks yours and calls us today to see you and need to meet with you more than anything else. We love you. We praise you. We give it all to you, Jesus. Amen.